Hello there, and welcome to Delightful Descent. Uh, today it's uh, episode 15, and I'm going to be talking to Adrian Ashton. Welcome to the show, Adrian. Hello. It's, uh, it's really good to have you on. Um, if you're watching the show live, um, sorry for the slight delay, had some slight technical issues, but that's what being live is all about, isn't it? So um, yeah, today we're going to be talking about the assumption we damage trust when we challenge others' actions. And this is a really, really interesting one for me. I've, I've often found myself holding myself back um, in all sorts of situations when it really doesn't feel supportive, when it doesn't feel okay to speak out, but actually when I really want to help someone and um, really want them to to be able to, uh, you know, to to help them out and actually make the best of things. So it, it's, it's definitely something I've struggled with in the past so hopefully this will be this will be a really interesting one to get into stuff and i think we're going to get into all sorts of stuff around power and how we do this and yeah really really interesting conversations so if you're new to the show uh, you haven't watched delightful descent before or you've only caught a couple of episodes it's a show about challenging the deep assumptions challenging the stuff that really holds us back um possibly without us even knowing you know that hidden stuff that trips us up um, it's also a chance to give you some ideas about how you can go out and challenge the assumptions that are holding you back and that are holding other people back as well. So it's not just about us, uh, like as experts, whatever that means. It's about um, it's about everyone being able to do this and, and giving you some some help to you know some ideas about how you might do this yourself. Uh, and the show is called Delightful Descent because, yeah, we are challenging stuff. We're saying, okay, this isn't the way things we, we think things are. You know, there's something wrong here, but. We're doing it in a way that's positive and doing it in a way that hopefully results in making things better for everyone. Uh, so it's actually I, about... Sorry, Matthew, I thought it was called Delightful Consent. Sorry, Delightful no. Descent, because we're British. And therefore, to be anarchy, to bring anarchy, we have to be polite in how we do it. So we're being polite anarchists. Polite so, anarchists. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. YouTube wouldn't let you have that title. So you had to no, have I, some... I, Yeah, no, I, I really like that. That's a great uh, a great idea. That, that does pretty much sum up the, the kind of, uh, yeah, some making some polite anarchy. <laughs> Definitely. Um, no, that's great. Uh, <laughs> Um, the show is genuinely live, um, as the technical issues that delayed us at the beginning uh, maybe go and prove. So, um, yeah, stuff may go wrong, so please do bear with us. Um, also, you know, we might be talking about difficult topics and challenging stuff. So be aware that if we, we might be going into something that you find difficult. So just know that that might happen. And we might use strong language. So also just be warned if that's something that bothers you, then then well i'll put i'll hopefully put some warnings on the recorded stuff but if you're watching live can't promise that we won't use strong language so um this is really about also about engaging with the messy areas and engaging in general engaging with the gray areas and, and the difficult stuff and if you're watching or you know at any point when you're when you're watching or listening to this please do engage with it you know think about it ask questions about yourself and ask us questions we don't have all the answers you know, that's not what this show is about. It's about not having the answers, really. Um, so get out there and, you know, ask questions, uh, engage. If you're watching live, ask questions on YouTube and we'll be able to see them and, and respond to them. If afterwards, then I'll be at the end, I'll be sharing stuff, how you can get in touch with either of us if you want to ask questions or have more of a conversation later on. So, um, yeah. Um, so today's guest is, is Adrian Ashton and I'm... Really, I really did. Uh, we met, first of all, um, through the Good Business Club at a Good Business Club event. Um, and I was really kind of struck by the fact that Adrian's doing some really quite 
radical out there stuff, but with big corporates, big organizations. And that definitely caught my interest because it's often you can have one or the other, but but not both. So I really, really wanted to get him on today to, yeah, and to talk about kind of more of the stuff that he's doing. So yeah, as I say that, Adrian, could you tell us a little bit about what you do and the kind of people that you like to work with? Okay, uh, so I'm not proud. If the money's there, I'll do it. No, um, there's actually a line somewhere. I have turned money down before when I've been offered it for certain contracts. So I, I find myself getting involved in all sorts of odd things, Matthew. Um, some of which, unfortunately, I'm not allowed to talk about because of legal orders, which is a shame because that's where the really good learning is. That's where you get the best stories as warning, as encouragement. But um, when all this is over and we can meet back together again, then buy me a, a tipple of my favorite in a bar somewhere and I may accidentally leak something. So with that in mind, what I can talk about is I work with all sorts of people and all sorts of groups. That ranges from someone who says, I think I've got half an idea about maybe setting up a market store as a way just to try and earn a bit of money through to small businesses, local shops, through to charities, cooperatives, social enterprises, through to regional businesses, like say some national companies, government bodies, business support programs, universities and enterprise education programs. And it all seems to hang under the banner of enterprise support and development, but not enterprise as Neil Tennant wrote in terms of let's make lots of money, enterprises in what if why not enterprise is a mechanism to say let's challenge the way we do things why can't we change something why can't we introduce a new process why can't we do that that way what's the way that would make it work so that's the spectrum of people and groups i work with and the stuff that that involves is everything from what i would call uh, beer mentoring so we go down the pub you pay me in beer after about the third pint it gets a bit ropey um, but up to then people say it's pretty good um, like I say, up to doing bits with universities, institutions, policy bodies, um, accidentally changing company law in one of those processes, which was fun, um, and all sorts of issues. So governance, finance, change management, uh, values, impact, because my head's not wired right. In my head, all this stuff's connected. The way that you approach how you finance your project or your enterprise is equally ingrained in how you are managing it and your values. You don't, you can't separate them. So to mm. me, all these things are connected and that's a long rambling way. But if you ask anyone who's known me or heard about me, you will probably get a slightly different story as to what it is I do, because I do yeah. this kind of what whatever people need. That's great. And I think it's such a, it's a, it's a story that, that's that been repeated and I very much resonate with as well, you know, that you're kind of doing, doing what's needed and, and also the, the connecty thing and, and seeing connections, seeing an endless web of connections, um, which can make yeah, things are, tricky we as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, working in the kind of, working in the web as it were, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, cool. So before we actually get stuck into the assumption, I always like to ask my guests to bring in a quote um, to kind of, you know, help uh, get a bit of support before we before we go full on into the into uh, arguing with the way that things are done. Um, so yeah, is, have you got something you could uh, share with us? Yes. So um, ordinarily, Matthew, you want to come ask for a favourite? I don't really have one of these ones who reads all the inspirational speeches and things. Um, and normally, if people say, what's your favorite quote? I, it's one that's attributed to Oscar Wilde, which is, try everything once, apart from incest and Morris dancing. 
but I thought that maybe wasn't quite in the right field for, for this afternoon's or today's call. So I've actually got one that I came across years ago and it's something I actually printed off and I got framed on my office wall. It's by a person called, uh, make, uh, if Ramus, if you're listening, I apologize for mispronouncing your name. It's Ramus Ankerson. Uh, Ramus Ankerson once said, if it isn't broken, consider breaking it. Don't be complacent. And I just like the idea of saying constantly challenge, constantly question. Just because mm. it's accepted wisdom doesn't mean it's right anymore, which is why when Matthew, you kind of invited me to join me this afternoon, it just seemed a really good fit in terms of the sorts of things that get me excited and I like to, the spaces I like to play in. Mm, absolutely. No, that's, I, and I do, I really like that quote. I, I think it's a, I, I've, I've in my whole career come up against if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, if it's, sorry, yeah, it, it's, and, and it's, it's an excuse for same old, same old, and it ends up with diminishing returns. You know, so often it's like, and by the time you realize you're in diminishing returns, it's kind of too late. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, we wish we changed it all that time. Oh, yeah, but we didn't because it wasn't broken then. But now it is. And, yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I think challenging the way that things are done, you know, what people are doing is, is yeah, it's absolutely core to that. No, so brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. Um. So the assumption we're actually going for today is, yeah, we damage trust when we challenge others' actions. Could you tell me a little bit about, you know, what that means to you, um, you know, why you wanted to talk about it today? Okay. It strikes me, uh, Matthew, I mean, it's always difficult when we're recording these sorts of interviews and we know they're going to be available afterwards, that anything we share doesn't date too quickly. Hmm. And uh, here today, this afternoon, 25th of February, 2021, the world is still in the middle of a pandemic, which, you know, comes around every century or so things are changing again quite quickly and we are all facing uncertain futures whether whatever we say we are kind of going we hope this maybe that but actually we're all kind of feeling our way the future outcomes of our plans are uncertain they're uncertain at the best of times but at the moment it's just massive we're taking we've got no idea if this is anything we're doing is going to work or not and that means in order to keep going, we rely on trust even more. When outcomes are uncertain, we cling to that knowledge, that trust, that faith we have in each other. At least that relationship's going well. At least I've got this. I, I'm, and we, it's really, we kind of cling to that to kind of go, this is really important. So trust is a really valuable commodity in whatever part of the world and life that we live and walk. And at the moment, even more so. And aligned with that, if you look up, this is an interesting conversation I always have with people. So we're recording this. We're both in Britain, we're both British. Um, you, what are your country's values? And one of the values of Brit British culture is tolerance. And tolerance kind of says, well, if you're tolerant, it means you can trust people, you can get on better. So there's something about our identity in terms of is, is, is bound up with trust and challenge. Um, the way that we move forward into this world is bound up with trust and challenge. But we have this, this kind of interesting spark and it's kind of it roams around in the back of it that we all see things all the time. We have experiences that we go, oh, if only someone would speak out, that really bugs me. That's kind of upsetting me. It's knocking me off my game. It means I can't do what I want to do. It's, it's upsetting, it's frustrating, it's limiting. 
me because of my response to it. And it's not, maybe not just me, it's I can see other things as well. And that kind of crystallized and you and I were chatting briefly before we came live this afternoon. And we were both reminiscing about a call that we were both in recently as well, where we both signed up to the same webinar, unbeknownst to each other. It's kind of one of those happy coincidences. And we both sat there going through it and unbeknownst to us, we both were thinking the same thing, which is the person leading it was kind of treating us like children. And we weren't getting anything valuable out of it. But yet from our side of the cameras, we thought, well, everyone else seems to be doing great. So we didn't speak out. We didn't challenge it. We just thought, let, let, let's have it rolling on. And then afterwards, we were chatting. We realized that we have both had the same feeling. And we both thought, dang it, we should have said something. We should have challenged that person for the risk of being unpopular, for the risk of maybe dinting that relationship, for the benefit of everyone. So rather than just benefit a few people, we need to benefit everyone. We need to bring a challenge in some way. And that kind of links back to this, this, this kind of other constant idea we have as well about how we live our lives, which is what's more important? Is it more important that we as an individual have our rights respected and upheld and we can act in the way that we want? Or is it more important that the society we are part of is able to get along as well? And that for the benefit of everyone and it's trying to get that tension between it. Um, yeah. No, it, it's for me. It's a, you know, it's it's a deceptively connected question. You know, it's like it, it's so much around context and the how the the way that we do things uh, and all of the stuff around that, as well as being about you know exactly what it is that you do. And and yeah, I I, I think you know I, I've spent a lot of time in organisations not speaking up, um, not challenging, uh, and. Sometimes when I have, uh, it's gone very badly as well. Uh, and there's, and that's partly down to my own competence and partly down to the fact that some organizations, it's genuinely just not safe to do. Uh, and I think one of the questions, so that there's, there's, there's probably two kind of practical questions I'd like to kind of explore today as, as we explore the ideas as well, is how do I do it? You know, how do I speak up? But also how do I create a situation where it's okay to speak up to me you know it's okay to challenge me it's okay to because that's the other side of it you know mm -hmm. uh, and i think that that's also a really big challenge particularly for those of us with you know when we, when we find ourselves in positions of authority uh and that's even you know when i say positions of authority i don't necessarily mean being a senior person in a large organization though that might be the case we kind of have authority just by talking on the show <laughs> you know we're, we're, we're standing up and we're saying something and we say it very clearly and we've got these backgrounds and it's like you know it's like how do we how do we have that conversation in a way that is open to challenge is is kind of yeah I, I think there's there's some really really interesting stuff in there and maybe that in terms of being open ourselves is actually about how we feel we value ourselves and we feel confident if for example if i don't feel confident in myself if i don't feel i have enough grounding or evidence or things i can pull up to go this explains why i've taken this position then I don't feel confident speaking out. I don't feel confident in people coming to me to challenge it mm. because I'm going to be exposed as a fraud, which links into other conversations for other times about uh, self-worth, uh, how we perceive ourselves, imposter syndrome, such, such like that. And it's right, the, the cues that we have to, to bring that are interesting. So you mentioned some of our backgrounds. Um, you obviously 
uh, much more widely read than I am in terms of your, your bookcases behind you. If you kind of look closely in the screen or you zoom in, you'll kind of see a lot of my influences are slightly less paper-based uh, in that regard. I do have lots of books, just to be sure. I read voraciously as a kid. Um, you know, we, what, what do we base our positions on? How do we feel comfortable being challenged ourselves? Because if we, like I say, if we're not open to be challenged, if we, how can we challenge others if we cannot be challenged ourselves? There's no authority in that. There's mm. no credibility in it. And we just, we lose the argument before we begin. What, what comes up for me in that is there's, 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 there's kind of two sides of this. And I think this is a really interesting one because there's, and that this actually works both being challenged and challenging is sometimes there's a challenge of like, the, the, the challenge is, okay, I don't understand this. You know, I, I just don't get it. There's something I'm missing here. Sometimes the challenge is, I think I get this, but I have evidence to the contrary. Well, this is wrong, you know, to put it in blunter terms, you know, and, and I think they're quite different, you know, that the experience is different. I'm, I'm increasingly comfortable standing up and saying, okay, sorry, I've missed something. I'm not sure I get it. What I'm interested in is actually that, that, that second kind of challenge as well. And then like, how do we say, well, actually, no, you know, and, and the, this plays into the tolerance thing, I think, as well. It's, it's different to say, okay, I don't know, but it, 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 that, that feels, it, it, it's increasingly easy. It used to be completely impossible in a professional context. Now it's, it's easier yeah. in most places. It's relatively safe to say, I don't have complete knowledge. We get our phones out and someone, whoever we're speaking with in a group goes, actually, I've just Googled that. I've Wikipedia'd it. It's actually this. Yeah, that's easier now. But the second one of saying, well, no, actually, this isn't. I don't see it that way. You know, I, I have evidence. You know, I, I have a it's, it's not just that I don't know. It's that I know different. <laughs> um, and that's uh, that feels like a different thing again. And I think that's but yeah, our lived experience. And that feeds into our prejudice and our bias, which says, so for example, you know, both of us, Matthew, are prejudiced because you've read different books to me. We've uh, watched slightly different movies. Um, what you want out of this life is probably slightly different to what I want out of this life. And that informs the way that we approach these, all situations, all scenarios, and how comfortable and confident we are for calling things out and to present ourselves as a target to say to people, pull, pull me down, put, take a strip off me because I'm challenging you. But in return, you might push back. And if I'm not prepared for you to push back at me, and if I'm not prepared to think, how do I defend that position? How do I recover from it? If it turns out you're right and I'm wrong without losing my position of perceived authority in the relationship, if I'm a manager or something else, we don't even begin it and it falls apart. Mm. Mm. I think that, that protecting authority is a very interesting theme in this and the relationship to, you know, how we challenge and power. And it, it, it's something I'm, I'm very aware of, particularly in terms of challenging other people when I want to support them as well. This has always been one of the questions for me is even if I don't have kind of like hard authority, official authority, there is just a privilege that comes with being a white male middle-class man <laughs> that that means that I can kind of I have this kind of social capital this power that I don't want to use to just drown out other voices 
And so that's actually, for me, that's, that's part, I think for me, that's part of the reticence to challenge is partly that. I don't want to kind of misuse the power that I do have. Yeah, well, it's like we don't know, you know, there's the, the, the phrase, you know, keeping your powder dry. Wait for the best moment to use your opportunity, because if you keep, you see, otherwise you're the boy who cried wolf. You, you hmm. keep calling it out. You become known as the troublemaker. Hmm. There are some parts of some sectors, and that is my reputation. Here's Adrian. He's the troublemaker. Um, because I challenge. I don't challenge. Now, the interesting thing is I, I have that reputation, not because I challenge individuals within that sector, and I don't call them out on it. I challenge the assumptions that lead to their behaviors mm. in that sector. And I root it in evidence and research. But I will always say at the start, but I haven't read everything. I haven't had all the conversations that you've had. This is, like I said, it's framing it and almost kind of diffusing it and saying to people, this is your get-out clause to say you don't have to believe me. If you want to engage with this, here are the rules of engagement. But if you just want to be polite, be extra British, smile and wave, that's fine. You can simply go, okay, well, that's fine. That's your understanding. This is mine. We can move on. Mm. Um, and it's the idea of how, how we, I think part of the, the, the extent to which we challenge is also depends on how invested we are in the outcome of that behavior, of, of the other person's mm. behavior or attitude or understanding. How far does it affect us? depends on how far we challenge it. And that raises all sorts of questions about exploding this into philosophical terms about micro and macro ethics, um, typified a lot over this last year about the debates about face coverings and such like. But that's, again, I keep kind of saying that's another conversation coming up in the series, folks. Subscribe to the channel, <laughs> catch them up that way. Yeah. It, it, it... One of the challenges with this is you know we, we can can diverge um somewhat if you like it's it's uh we, we can kind of explore some of this some of the space definitely but it, it is really connected and i think that's actually one of the big challenges with this is is that that, that stuff is always happening in context you know and when we when we have these kind of we make these statements uh, or say you know we'll take these actions uh, that are a bit disconnected from context. They might have worked in the past or they might work in a different set of circumstances, but they're not the right approach now. They're not a helpful approach now. That's actually one of the really difficult things because it's, you know, for me, I think I've, I've often encountered that, you know, so we, we did this before and it worked. We did this before and it didn't work. It's like on its own, on its own that statement doesn't actually say very much. Yeah, it's like, okay, great. Well, it doesn't pertain to the current situation unless the current situation is like what happened before. <laughs> well, I think it's a really important visual cue about where that person roots their thinking. Mm. And it kind of says, my experience, how I approach the conversation, the thought process, the decision practice is rooted in my lived experience, not in any external objective referencing. Mm. And that, again, since when we, you know, we're touching upon some of the practicalities of how we bring challenge, it's how we look for those cues which say, what are they really saying? What, what, re what, reveals, what are they revealing about themselves and how they say that? And then, you know, mm. the follow-up question is, okay, you tried it before. Well, what, you know, what external factors were going around then that are still current today? Because if they're the same factors, then absolutely, you're right, we shouldn't try it. Mm. And it, that makes it safe. And we kind of take the personalization. I think part of the, the difficulty we have in terms of thinking about challenge and how we bring it is people feel it's personal because mm. we don't know how to have good, constructive, critical conversations with each other. Mm. We make, and it, it, we, it feels personal. You're having to go at me because I don't like it. No, 
I'm not having a go at you. I'm simply um, sorry, technical problems. Um, I'm I'm simply you can tell it's live, folks. Um, I'm simply suggesting my understanding is different to yours, hmm. and and that means that we should approach things differently. Um, I, I th it's it, it's one of the things you know. I think I've certainly encountered in. There's kind of underlying assumption, related assumption, that we should all kind of believe the same thing and think mm -hmm. the same thing, um, and that that's the only way to get a harmonious situation. Um, and it's, yeah. You know, I, I think it, it's, and, and again, this idea things change over time. Mm. As a society, you know, let's kind of take this from a historical social perspective. As a society, and some people still say this, Britain is a Christian nation. As a society, the behavioural norms were you all went to church on Sunday, you had your christening gown and, and so when that was it. Every household had a family Bible and that was it. That's changed a lot because what we, as time has gone on, as a society, as a collective, we've started to say, well, let's start to ask more questions. We've got comfortable asking questions. We've got comfortable saying it's okay not to have a Bible in the house. It's okay not to go to church. It's okay to believe something else. Um, but we haven't quite had the, done it in a way that allows us to say, but how do we then do that in a way which doesn't diminish the others? We've been tolerant of them. It goes back to the idea of British values. We tolerate other people's religious beliefs and views because that's their domain. If this is a postmodern society, your truth is equally as important as mine. That's fine. But that postmodernism has started to push a bit far because now we say, actually, my beliefs are more important than yours. We've gone beyond tolerance. And we started to say, actually, I don't believe in your religion. That means your religion's wrong because I don't believe in it. So, hang on a minute. How does that work if we're trying to get along together? We can hold different views. So as a quick straw poll, we, dear viewers, we haven't practiced this on, on live yet. Great question, Matthew. Marmite, yes or no? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm obviously of the other camp. Okay. Yes. Now, that doesn't stop us being able to have a good, robust conversation together. It doesn't stop mm. us being able to call each other out and to prod and poke things. It's simply a reflection of what I suggest that our factory default settings, mm. in terms of our preferences for, you know, doing it that way. It's useful to know these things. So in certain situations, it imposes how it goes. So, for example, knowing that, I would never suggest we do a business breakfast together. Yeah. <laughs> any other time, any other movement, absolutely fine. But again, but it helps us understand and frame that relationship and frame that challenge as well in terms of understanding and digging into it. So that idea of yeah, a kind of a universalism, we are all one mind, we're all one heart. What a boring world that will be. Um, we need divergence. We need to be uh, you know, Star Trek, for example. You know, I did Facebook Lives a while ago. You know, I kind of always end it off with the with the kind of the the the, the wish for it. This is not live long and prosper. Okay, I always offer it with the Vulcan sort of mirror image, which is peace and long life. Okay, I think it's much more encompassing that way. But the Vulcans have started with brilliant because they had this thing called IDIC, I-D-I-C, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. The universe is and should be a glorious mishmash. We should all have different ideas. We should all have different preferences. The difficult, and the Vulcan said, we use logic to bind it all together in Star Trek, which you okay, can take your own view on. Um, but it's the idea of we need to find a way, we need to find ways to have these conversations with each other, to challenge each other, where we say, actually, your view is causing you to act in a way 
terms of your behaviors, your actions, which are actually, I think, not helpful for me, or is it not helpful for us as a wider society? Mm. And then that approaches how you bring it. The trust element is there because we still have to live with each other as neighbors, as work colleagues, as family members. So how do we kind of maintain those that the basis of that relationship when mm. it can be awkward conversations? And I think there's a part of the trust element for me, actually, and in, in this assumption is that the there's, there's also an implicit assumption that we don't damage trust if we don't challenge. Mm. Uh, and and the, that is equally problematic. I think over time, you know, and this is actually the local versus global, but on a timescale thing, I think um, that you're, you, you might increase the local trust, but at the significant cost of the kind of the long-term trust of that the, I can, because I, you know, particularly as a, as, if I have an, an authority position, I I want to be challenged. I want people to tell me when I'm wrong, because that's that that stops me from doing stupid things. And, and I learn. would do many stupid things if I was loud without you know. And how do we hope to grow as a person if we aren't challenged? If we don't understand where we're getting it wrong? If we aren't thinking about how we work it? And again, that kind of tips upon one of your previous conversations you had with Margaret Barry in episode five, I believe mm. it was, you know, one of the reasons we should question, she said from question, I said challenge, both as a challenger and a challengee is to help us both grow as people we, mm. that we don't stagnate, that we don't just become frogs at the bottom of a pond. We're just kind of going, well, they're just boring. Mm. Who wants to be a boring frog? Well, actually, if you're looking for a your princess looking for your your prince to kind of come and change your life, then maybe you are on the lookout for a boring frog. And if that's you, then I'm sorry for upsetting you. But... Yeah, I, I think that for me that that the reward of actually discovering stuff, finding stuff out, that I'm hugely you know driven by that, and I, I hugely value that. I know not everyone is as driven by it, but it does have practical outcomes as well, you know. And, and I think that that's part of it. But then, the, and to but to counter it though, to, to play devil's apricot with myself on this, if we don't challenge it, if we are tolerant, one of the other arguments then is, well, the more tolerant we are, the more resilient we can become. We can learn to live with that um, frustration. We become resilient to shock. We develop these strategies, these coping mechanisms that allow us to get through an increasingly messy and uncomfortable world. Mm. So maybe actually by not challenging, it serves our purpose better because it helps us become more resilient. I think um, for, yeah, resilience is a really interesting one because for, for me, it's it's a word I, I I've explored a lot. And there's there's resilience, which is there's a resilience which comes from yeah, basically being able to carry on um, and and do what you were doing before, regardless of the fact that circumstances have changed. And then there's a resilience that comes from adapting. Yeah, because and and you need them both. You need flexibility which is both some structure and some ability to move <laughs> otherwise because because the other approach you know that the not changing the the kind of tolerance which becomes appeasement is brittle because if you don't respond to the thing at all it just pushes and changes and eventually that will get to the point where its effect is too much for you to cope with yeah, and, and we either completely snap, or our identity have, is subsumed, and we, yeah, 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 you, know, it, you become. It makes you more brittle. Lost as a person, yeah, 
and and that's a problem too so so it's like so so there's and that's that for me is a and there's also an opportunity cost to that mm. you know it's like the context has changed i'm still doing what i'm doing are there things in the context I could be doing that in the new context that could, could be more interesting, could be more rewarding, could be better, and we don't we 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 miss out on those as well as exposing ourselves to that risk of kind of more brittleness. Hmm. I think this is where we kind of conversations like this um, are really useful, and in terms of for you as the audience listening in on this, because it raises more questions and it introduces perspectives on it, which are to do with. Uh, you know, our understanding of our own psychology, the way that we think about things, our cognitive processes. You know, the Marmite example, my line is different to your line. You know, I've developed resilience. I've been made homeless. My, my family have been made homeless twice by floods. We had to build resilience, as in just we had to learn to cope with it. That was it. We, uh, and, and our adaptation became we adapted in the short term because there's always the hope we'd come back. But again, how we had to build and retain trust so in terms of our builder that we had both times to help us rebuild the home to get back in we had to have massive trust in them that they knew what they were doing that they could keep on top of it and that was difficult because we kind of also said that they could experiment with some new techniques um not all of which went to plan but those are other stories um which involve you know, police at two o'clock in the morning and um, other things anyway lots of kind of dramatic stuff but there was still trust in the relationship because we found a way to challenge that, to say, look, we took out the personal. And we said, how do you, and for the builder, you know, for our builder as well, that she was increasingly, I reckon as well, that she, it's that understanding and emotional intelligence. Trying to say the other person, the other party in this is in a place where they're also upset, they're under stress, they're under pressure. So in terms of the trust in the relationship and how open they would be to being challenged, we have to again pick our moments to how we make it work. So it almost became a symbiotic relationship. Mm. So how we challenged each other to think about, well, maybe this one, maybe that, and you said this, and now we think that. And it was kind of working it up in tandem. And I think having the trust allowed us to challenge, and through the challenging, we built trust. So it's the kind of like one of those weird paradox things. But we both came to it in the same way because at the start we sat down and said, look, this is an this is not going to be a typical experience for us. How to make it work. But again, that though Matthew then kind of starts to pick on this other dimension to it. We're kind of talking about trust and relationships on the implicit assumption that it's one-to-one. -one. It's my relationship with you that one of us is calling the other out on. What if it's my relationship with my whole team? What if it's my relationship with my family? What if it's my relationship with my neighbors? What if it's my relationship with the state? that there's, I need to challenge it, I need to call it out. But yet we still have to, and all those different things, we have to maintain a relationship that has to be trusted. Yeah, the state trusts me not to act illegally. It trusts that I will pay my taxes. It trusts that I will try and look after myself and my health so that I don't end up needing to kind of go to A&E unnecessarily. There's no trust in that relationship. Mm. But in return, there are things that it's doing that I'm thinking, but in order for me to do that and act in that way, which is in your benefit, and I understand that because you've been open, I need to feel I can trust you in return. It has to be a reciprocal thing. Mm. And then it's how do I find how do we find ways to challenge that constructively in a way that I feel I've got it off my chest, I've got it out there, it's not eating me up, 
I've been able to then that resilience aspect because I've been able to bring the challenge, whether it goes anywhere, it's resolved. That allows me to work with whatever the situation is and adapt to it better than simply entrenching more and more and more and then snapping. Yeah. And I think that openness, you know, that move towards openness is, is a really big step on, on quite a practical level, actually, particularly in organizations and for businesses. You know, we, we, wanna, we, we operate on a very closed system very often, but particularly professionals, I think, you know, we, we, we've coming from an environment where, where there was a kind of secret knowledge of whatever it was that we did. You know, it was this kind of closed thing. And then it's a bit like, priests talking about something different behind closed doors as they talk with their congregation or doctors talking differently with themselves to their patients or you know lawyers and chambers talking differently to how they talk with their clients and there's there's that's related to a lot of stuff around power and knowledge mm-hmm. but one of the flattening things about the internet and knowledge and the amount of knowledge that we have is that there's much less value in kind of hoarding knowledge now it's always there and someone's going to find it. Someone else knows it anyway. Someone's probably going to share it. But being able to open that up mm. and being able to open up what I know gets me another advantage, which is that I can improve that. I can get you to say, well, yeah, in that case, that works. But in this mm. case, there's this instead. Yeah. And it's I did. There's the, the cartoon about it has dots on a screen, which says the dots of the knowledge, the, the dots of the information, the lines that connect them, are the knowledge that we connect it, but the wisdom about how we apply it, how we how we grow with it, that's the circles, that's the patterns that we get. You know, stargazing at night. Mm. Anyone can go, well, that's the star, great. And now this thing of going, well, and then you have to really use your imagination to go, how does that those three stars look like a bear? I can't see it. But some people can, and that gives us that unlocks that next level because they share that back with us. They through their passion for it, they challenge us to rethink about how we've looked at something. Mm. I think how we missed something. We've both had the same information, but we both looked at it differently. Mm. We've both come in and is trying to challenge that thing and saying, and if you can't see it, that's fine. I bet back in the 1980s, there was the kind of the big craze of the 3D pictures. Mm. And you know, you kind of, um, everyone go, oh, it's the Statue of Liberty, it's brilliant. And I'd stare at them for days mm. and go like cross-eyed by the end and go, ah. Yeah. And it just, I could never see them. You know, this whole thing, you, know, you, you hold it closer, then you move it further away. No, never works. I can't see them in either. I, I, I do wonder whether everyone's yeah. just making them up. But it's idea. But again, it, and that then makes us go, okay, so, but that's challenging me about, am I missing out on something? Everyone mm. else can see it. It's that, that peer affiliation. And that, and that again, that peer framework frames the challenge more objective. So this is not about my mate saying I'm stupid. This is about me feeling I'm missing out. So the challenge then is about, it's the fear of, it's the uh, FOMO, yeah, FOMO, fear of missing out. The challenge is actually you're being encouraged to revisit an idea, an assumption, a behavior, an understanding about yourself that may be limiting you. And therefore, you're limiting, you're constraining your potential. You're not growing in the person you could be. Mm. I think one of the amazing things about humans is our capacity for getting on socially you know mm. how much we can how many you know how how we we kind of want to create social harmony and we want to we want to create and connect with people and link with people I had there's one um, evolutionary biologist who describes humans as an aggressively social species <laughs> and I really like that as a, as a characterization well, and, I think, and that's no more so than when we go back down the pubs 
Exactly. And, but, but like, so, you know, and the example they use is we, we're so aggressively social. We domesticated dogs mm -hmm. from wolves. We looked at around in our environment and we looked and we saw an apex predator that ate us. And we were like, yeah. I could probably make friends with that. Yeah, it'd be fine. <laughs> yeah. What's the and, worst that can happen? Exactly. And, and, and so, so the, but we have these traits and they're really, really deep. And there, there's a, a, a really fascinating psychology study. I think it's from the 60s where basically there's just one participant mm -hmm. and the whole rest of the room is full of students, actors, and they'll be asked a question by the, by the examiner, by the, and, and then, um, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll point out the obvious, but after a while, everyone else in the room will say, no, black is white. You know, there's something completely different here. Mm. And more often than not, the participant will go along with that. You know, and you can see the the, the dissonance, mm. the strain, but but ultimately we're so so kind of expected to you know we have these instincts towards that kind of harmony that we question ourselves. Mm. And for me, I think as a practical thing, it's like it's actually listening to 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 that dissonance and being, like, what well, am I wrong? Is there something different, or am I really seeing something different here? And that 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 it's valid because. If everyone else is saying something probabilistically, there's a good chance that we are, you know, that we've missed something. Mm. But that doesn't mean we have definitely. And how, how we explore into that and how we edge into that, I think, and is I think, a... yeah. And the difference if we then accept that that peer norm, we've then given away our authority and our power to someone else. We've said, you know better than me. And that's the difficulty in terms of challenge. Where do we get to the point of saying, yes, you know better than me, so I'll go along with it, mm. even when everyone else is saying that, you know, black is white and white is black. Or if we're the lone wolf voice going, actually, you know what, I've, I've read up on this and I've had some conversations and I've thought about this and everyone is saying it's fine and yet I'm not convinced it is. And, you know, there's a story, because there's um, community interest companies are a legal form that government introduced almost a couple of decades ago now for social enterprises. When they first came out, Again, my brain not being wired properly. I read the legislation. I thought there's something in the governance, how these these this legal model works that doesn't quite chime with the values of the businesses that they're supposed to be wrapped around. And and any any group that adopts this legal form is being forced. It's forcing its governance to act in a way which is not reflective of those core values. And that's surely not right. And no one's talking about it because everyone's saying how great it is because government's done this great thing for us. And so you know that that black and white moment was every sort of sector body that I spoke with said, oh, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. You, it's, it's, it's something of nothing. It's fine. It's not an issue. Don't leave it. Leave it alone. You don't talk about it. And yet I just, it kept niggling at me. And eventually I got to my game, okay, you know what? I'm going to challenge it. I have to challenge this. And it's going to make me unpopular because essentially I'm saying, almost like being an Old Testament prophet, you know, going out of a lone voice in the wilderness, the kind of going, everyone else says the king's right. You know, then prison new closing. Everyone that says it's all fine, and you think it's not, and you're going to kick up a stink. Well, who are you to do that? Well, you have no authority. But again, I kind of can put a, a drafted up a, a short kind of think piece, short article piece. So look, this is. I'm not saying that the legal form shouldn't exist. I'm not saying everyone who's adopting it are stupid. What I'm suggesting is there's this bit of it that's not quite fitting with this bit of the sector over here. And this is the reasons why. Here's my workings out. Here's the evidence. Here's the workings out. And um, the regulator didn't want us. Nobody wanted to know. So I thought, okay, 
went back to one of my previous lives working in corporate public relations. So this is this is about secondary legislation in company law. Okay, not the most I sexed it up a bit, like you do. And then I kind of sent it to some people I knew who were editors of media publications in that sector. And they went, this is great. We're going to run this because this sounds brilliant, the way you kind of told the story. And that then opened up the conversation. Suddenly the regulator wanted to talk. And the regulator said, actually, we think you've got a point. Because now it's been presented to us in this way. Now we have this understanding that you've laid it out. We're going to, and it, it got, I'm sure that it can't just be me. I have no formal legal training or qualifications, but you know, I can't find anything else that suggests they had anyone else lead, feeding into it because the consultation was pretty much word for word what I'd written. But it raises that story about saying, how far do we say when everyone else says this is fine, leave it alone? Do we go, actually, no, I've got to, I've got to do something and it's going to be risky. And I'm, it's a challenge to either, you know, and it's going to affect individual relationships. So all those sector bodies that I work alongside those groups that I worked with, I, that challenge was essentially saying to them, no, 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 I think you're all stupid. You should have seen this sooner. But I tried to frame it in a way that protected the personal relationship and said, this is about the transactional nature of what we're doing. This is why it's damaging. And then you can take it or leave it on that basis. And if you want to engage, great. If you don't, I've done enough. I've brought the challenge. I've laid it out. I've showed the workings out. It's up to you now. And I'm not going to keep fighting this. And I think that's the key thing. We say, if we're going to challenge someone, we have to win. We've got this mentality. We have to win the battle mm -hmm. because that's how it's presented. You can both win. It's not about changing someone else or fixing someone or getting someone to stop doing something. It's about saying, building that understanding on both sides. Actually, there may be good reason that their behavior or their actions are as they are. And through that constructive challenge, we better understand it. We've grown as a person, they've grown as a person, and we've come up with a new sort of thesis, antithesis, a new synthesis. We've come up with a new model of working that the mm. challenge has given us that wouldn't have been there before. Mm. Absolutely. I think there's something really powerful in that around the stories that we tell and the narrative, mm. you know, and, and how are how we're constructing something and and that actually for me a lot of the challenge is just is is like telling my story well, saying telling like explaining my position well in context. Then as long as that and, and as long as that's landed. Yeah. I don't really mind what what someone else has kind of you know what someone else does with it, but not very many people necessarily operate in that way. And I think when you when you come at something from a different perspective, and that can be the the officially naive perspective, because you're whenever you train in anything, you kind of get all these mental models, and it make, makes you think in a certain way. You predispose to think in a certain way. So most lawyers look at stuff in a common way, a relatively common way. That's that's. In many ways, that's a good thing, but you need that outsider perspective. You need some of that outsider mm. view to catch the blind spots. And yeah. like I said, because the, the danger is we've always done it this way. Mm. So why and, should we change it? And 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 the the, the trouble with with is is that very often these things are, are common sense, and, and common sense means the norms of the normal for whatever normal means in the context. You know, and and. They can be very helpful. That can be very helpful. But if it isn't common sense, if there's something outside of that norm that, that really needs pointing out, it's not going to happen from within there. And I think there's that that's one of the really big things. And I also think there's there's understanding that we, as an individual, we are kind of both within and without at the same time, very many, very often. You know, that that, you know, that idea. And I, I've recently been playing with this idea of um 
what it is to be a radical insider, to be saying, well, okay, I'm in this system, but I don't like how it works. Hmm. I'm part of it, and I don't like how it works. It's a different thing to being a kind of rebel and being on the outside, but we're yeah. often treated that way. And I think that's uh, how we negotiate that is a really big challenge. And I think yeah, and that kind of raises an interesting dimension in terms of the constraints to challenge that we're under that we don't realize. So you know, I kind of alluded about you know seeing myself as an Old Testament prophet. Um, I've written about this on my blog before. I think a freelancers like me, I'm not employed by anyone. I can speak out. I can bring a lot more challenge, a lot more easily about systems, processes, people. If you are employed by someone, if you're employed by a company, a charity, whatever, you are under a duty, you're under legal obligation. You have a duty of care to your employer not to do anything to embarrass them. So the challenge, so if you're thinking, I want to challenge the state, I want to challenge the policy, I want to challenge another company, because you are an employee of that organization, if that would embarrass them, then legally you can't do it. Mm. Okay, so you're constrained. And then in turn, that's external challenge, internal challenge. We've all heard stories, all you know, heard about it. Oh, can't do that. HR won't let me. I'm in a, I've been accused of bullying in the workplace, and there's a policy that won't let me. So we don't encourage challenge, Matthew. Do we? We kind of we have these internal and external legal structures and internal policies and processes that say we don't enc encourage and enable people to bring challenge constructively. We don't train people when they're inducted as part of the skills development management leadership to say. How do you bring a challenge? How do you challenge a team or a behavior in a way that is legal and ethical and doesn't leave the person feeling that they're a complete failure and have screwed their lives up? But yeah, it allows you to both move on. I, I think it is, it, is, it is really important to point out that not all challenge is bullying, but some no. of it definitely is. And, and how that plays out and how we do that and how we practice that. I think is, is a huge part of it. And obviously where we have power, we have authority, how we receive the challenges is a huge part of what we're modeling and the thing that we're creating. But I think for me, what comes up is really, th this, is a, this is an exploratory thing and, and it's actually something that you build over time. You know, you build trust over time. I think actually, when I think about it, very few organizations really have a high degree of trust. You know, there's a lot of transactionality. There's a lot of contracts. There's a lot of like, you know, but but there's actually very little trust. And that makes working in this uncertain space really hard, you know, if not impossible, because then we can't, we can't take those leaps. We can't do the stuff. We can't, we have to do it all. And we, you almost, it almost becomes a chicken and an egg problem. Um, mm -hmm which is solved, by the way, but I won't get into that too much. Um, I, I know that too, yeah. Um, but You it, can look it up on Wikipedia, folks. Yeah, it's fine. Go, Google yeah. it. Um, but, um, uh, or, or what, what we mean by a chicken and an egg problem, the, 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 it's, a, it's a deadlock. You know, you need something before you get something. You need to know the answer before you can be certain about it and kind of make a contract about it. So you need the trust to bridge that gap. Um, but it builds over time. And I think that starting with the small stuff, starting with the stuff that's low risk, where where if it does all fall apart, okay, we can we can cope with that before something really big is at stake. Yeah, and there we and I think there's something as you're saying that in terms of the, the trust because the, the, there is a thing called the trust index that you can look up, and actually it's global trust index really fascinating because it shows that for the first time ever, businesses are now the only global player who we as a society, global society trust to be both competent and ethical wow we trust charities to be ethical but not competent and we don't trust governments to be competent or ethical now so mm. i think there's something interesting that in terms of this conversation and i'm conscious again of time and 
like you say, with all of these programs, they're exploratory. They give us a space to start to explore it. Hopefully for you, dear listener, they've helped contribute to some of your own thinking and the way that Matthew and I have been able to reflect on our own start positions and build them out. But there's something about the trust and the challenge that actually we've kind of almost starting at the point of saying, if we, if we, challenge, if we don't challenge people well, we damage the trust. I think there's something deeper than that, which is if we don't respond to the challenge, the trust goes. And that's, you know, that's why we, in terms of that global index, things of those players going down the scale are because they're being challenged and they're not responding to it. Mm. In, they're not acknowledging it. So there's something about challenge is good. The, the important thing is not, it may be the most important thing about the challenge isn't the fact that we bring it or how we resolve it or how we manage it. The fact is we acknowledge it and we engage with it. That's what builds the trust. That's what keeps the relationships vibrant and healthy over time. Mm. I, absolutely. I think so. One way, because you know, this show often covers a really broad area and there's quite some quite abstract stuff. One way I like to, to bring it to, to something practical is to ask: Is there anything as a result of this assumption? You know, the, the fact that we've challenged this assumption and that we 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 don't. If we if if this assumption isn't true or isn't universally true, mm-hmm. is there anything that people don't have to do anymore? or don't have to worry about that they might have worried about before or might not have you know, been doing before? Um, maybe there's something about the fear factor. And that's quite hard to, to, to stop being mm. afraid of stuff. That, you know, we're, we don't bring change because we're afraid we'll damage the relationship. And, you know, we, we've kind of skirted around a lot of stuff in, in this last hour or so, haven't we? And I'm not sure. I mean, it'd be interesting in terms of if people can comment or reach out to us afterwards when you've heard it and slept on it um, to help us also pull out some additional stuff. But but it strikes me saying, actually, challenge isn't something to, that you should be afraid of. But there are lots of ways you can approach it. There are lots of benefits to doing it. The risks associated with it are actually pretty negligible or minimal when it comes to it. Um, so what's stopping us from doing it? And it's probably fear. The fear, like you said, you mentioned earlier, Matthew, what if I get this wrong? What if I upset the person? Well, you upset them. You know, when we were kids, we would play all the time. Um, it would get broken, we'd fix it. Again, one of the, the um, Margaret Barry's thing, she talked about Lego, you know, as a way to play together. When we were kids, we'd play together all the time. We'd upset each other, we'd make up, we'd get on. As we're adults, we're suddenly thinking, we can't do that anymore. Why the heck not? Play together, use those same techniques we had as kids. If we upset each other, say, oh, I'm really sorry. Didn't mean to do that. Can we be friends again, please? I'll bring some cake. You can borrow my bike. Do it that way and just make it, you know, human. Take out all this kind of paraphernalia of mm. we have to be professional. Have the, Like you said, this strange language in closed session and stuff. Just treat it like we were kids again. And actually, that's probably a, a better way of doing it. Ditch pretending to be an adult, because frankly, being an adult sucks most of the time. Yeah. Let's get back to playing with with Lego more and borrowing each other's bicycles to run around the record. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, not worrying about being seen as professional, being seen as mm-hmm. knowing everything, being seen as having all the answers, and, and actually being being open and playful mm-hmm. with 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 this stuff, because you know it, it's possible to do serious stuff and have fun at the same time. You know, and enjoy it. And I think that is that is truly radical. Um, you know, if we can, if more of us can do that, we can really do some really interesting stuff. Cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, 
for joining uh, joining us today. Uh, if you've um, if you're watching this and you've uh, enjoyed you know enjoyed this conversation and you want to carry on the conversation with me, you can always get in touch in the normal ways. Comment on all of the stuff. If, however, you specifically want to get in touch with Adrian, um, how would you like people to get in touch with you? Um, telepathy, as always thought, is an underrated route. I'd love to practice that more with people. If you want to yeah. try and, and Professor Exit with me. Um, I, I think, again, you know, I'm, I'm quite messy. Stick my name into Google or whichever your preferred social media channel is, apart from Tinder, Grindr, WhatsApp, maybe TikTok. I've not decided about TikTok yet. I don't get um, TikTok. And yeah, I, I just say, you know, just reach out. I'm, I always say to people, I, I'm happy to accept links and connection requests. Put a note on it, though, so I know where you're coming from. And I'm always happy as well to say to people, if you just want to have a conversation, if you think he sounds like somebody it might be interesting to pick the brains off about a particular thing that we're thinking about, or um, maybe he knows someone about something like this, um, I always say to people, I'm always happy to have a conversation without expectation, obligation, charge, commitment, any of the other usual legal disclaimers. Because I know from my own professional past, I've benefited massively from the kindness of strangers offering me a bit of time for a conversation. Hmm. And I figure it's just the way that we can help keep the universe running forward. Um, similarly, I've benefited a lot from listening to other people's interviews and series um, on other video sessions and programs which is why when matthew kind of said do you want to be part of this i thought blimey i didn't think i was that good but you know my mum always said if someone asks nicely you try and say yes so matthew if you ever meet my mum you know you owe her a glass of uh, white wine spritzers i think um, oh, then uh, but yeah just you know whatever it is if i don't know i'll i probably know someone who might be able to help you out so just let's just try and keep help help trying to keep help each other out that makes sense. I think I lost the grammar towards the end. That's fine. That's, that's, that's all good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on today. I really, really enjoyed the conversation and and very, um, you know, actually quite hopefully felt quite practical, quite grounded. Um, and actually, you know, sometimes it gets quite abstract um, or quite kind of uh, energetic, and we go in all sorts of different directions. And this this one, I think, was was really interesting. And, and yeah, for me, it has raised some questions, but I think it's actually raised some challenges about stuff I, I want to change and do differently in future, um, which is slightly different from questions. So there's, a, there's something really good to play with. So yeah, thank you so much for appearing, Adrian. I really, really enjoyed having you on. Um, yeah, um, I hope this show has got you thinking and everything has, you know, it's... Uh, it's actually kind of got you asking questions and maybe challenging yourself a bit. Um, it's your support that makes this possible um, as the, the audience. So do share it, you know, comment, reach out to us, have a conversation. It's all about engaging and playing with these ideas. Um, the next episode, um, I'm going to be talking to uh, Sally Ann Airy. Uh, Not Sally Ann. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> um, and we're going to be talking about the assumption that I should listen to feedback, which is uh, which Ooh. is very closely related to this one in really interesting mm. ways. It's almost the opposite side of this, I think, you know, and, and how we listen to feedback and what that means and uh, that it's, you know, whether we just take stuff in or whether it's an active process, and all sorts of really exciting things to get into with that. And that will be actually exactly the same time next week for once, um, which is 1 p.m. UK time on Thursday, the 4th of March. So yeah, thank you very much for being on the show, Adrian. Thank you very much for watching everyone. Um, and please do go out and there and make some delightful descent of your own. Or polite anarchy, 
as you said. Anarchy. Yeah. <laughs> That's Flangemer. the name of the podcast. Yeah. Cheers.